be here, and thank you very much for inviting me back again. So it could have been all bad last time, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say I was talking to John Bridger uh, not so long ago. We meet up quite regularly, and I told him I was coming here, and he uh, said uh, I'll do give them my greetings. For anyone that's visiting here, John Bridger moderated the church here um, in the ministerial pastoral vacancy time. When I was asked to speak today, I was told that uh, you were in the middle of a series, a series looking at the parables. Um, and in fact, there were six parables laid out, and so I was allocated the parable of the lost sheep. And so I said, that's absolutely fine, I'm happy to do that. And then I probably rather cheekily said, would it be a problem if I was to come at this from a slightly different position and tell you that uh, if you're looking at the parables in Luke 15, which in fact is the parable of the lost sheep, which is my grief, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the two sons, or the prodigal son, uh, and the brother, uh, I said, actually, if you look closely, you'll know it's actually nearly one parable and four illustrations. So I'll very happily do the sheep, but I wonder if you'll allow me to incorporate the others. I know you did the uh, parable of the prodigal son or the, the, the loving father, uh, probably a couple of weeks ago. But I hope that something of this that I'm going to do will illustrate the one point that in fact underpins them all. And that really is this on the screen. Okay? Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. So although there may be different illustrations, and you may call them parables, the NIV gives them titles, the parable of, the parable of, the fact is that they can all be summed up in this one statement which comes later in Luke's Gospel, chapter 19 and verse 10. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Some of us remember the days when Billy Graham came from America to do his crusades, as they were uh, then called, uh, in various places. I actually saw him at Wembley, but others saw him at Haringey and places like that. It was a very significant time for people to come to faith through this American evangelist. And of course, while he was doing this crusade, he was uh, staying with various different people, and he took a walk and he went to do some postal work, went to find a post office, uh, but he clearly lost the directions. I don't mean he lost a piece of paper, he was told where to go, but as he was traveling in unfamiliar territory, he got lost. But he saw a young boy out in the streets, as they did in those days, and uh, he called him over and he said, can you help me please? I'm looking for the post office. And so the young boy <coughs> said, yes, you go down this road, you take the first on the left, 
and the second one on the right, and you will find the post office. He was so grateful, was Billy Graham, that he turned to the boy and he said, he said, no, thank you so much, he said, if you come to my meeting on Saturday, I'll show you the way to heaven. And he says, I don't think I'll come. You don't even know the way to the post. <laughs> Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. The context of this passage seems to me to be extremely important because it starts off Verse 1 that Keith read for us, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So there's clearly a context of those that are hearing what he's wanting to say. And we are told that there were tax collectors, and as we well know, there were Jewish people who were assigned to collect the taxes for the Romans. So they weren't that popular in many ways, but they weren't always honest. And the people that he refers to as the sinners were those for whom they didn't keep the law as the Pharisees who saw their role as making sure that the law was kept up. Unfortunately, they put another 600 laws in as well as the Ten Commandments, and so it was particularly difficult. But they had this kind of self-righteous and an attitude that was really quite controlling and they were very judgmental. And then they say, and look, they're eating with these very people. Now you could just gloss over that, but it's still in this story of the parable of the lost sheep. And I just think it's important just to get this context right. Now, if you remember, Jesus called his disciples to him from all walks of life, but one of them was a tax collector. So straight away, there is a problem, isn't there, for these Pharisees? And in fact, Matthew 9, verses 10 to 12, tells us that when he had come to be aware of Jesus calling him, though he be despised to himself, he organized a party. And Jesus came and met with his colleagues and spoke to them. But why was it that this eating business was a problem to these Pharisees? And it was because they understood that once you have meals together, it's a bond. It's a bond. It's a bond of fellowship. It's a bond of relationship. Are we therefore surprised that Jesus, before he went to the cross, gathered his disciples together 
and they had the Passover meal. But very significantly, it was about his way of bonding through the meal and interpreting it in a way that we understood uh, the death and resurrection and held communion because of it. But the significance is for those Pharisees, they understood you have a meal with someone, you're bonded to them. We wouldn't necessarily say that. We would probably, we would probably say it really does help the relationship. I remember somebody saying uh, when I was in when I was in ministry, as many of you know, I, I was in 40 years in as a Baptist minister. And I remember when we started doing Alpha courses, like them or love them, the fact of the matter was people would say to me, can we do the course without the meal? And at the time, I just said, well, I know where you're coming from, but actually the meal is very important. And it's very important, I think, for relationship. But when we understand the background here, the Alpha Course was to introduce people to the person of Jesus and also what he did and what we can receive. It's a bond. So it's worth thinking about that. And then you say to me, well, that's interesting, Graham. I haven't thought of that. I said, well, have you ever wondered then why the gospel writers include the feeding miracles, the feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the 5,000. Because this was all about God in Jesus wanting to bond with the world, for God so loved the world that he gave. So we could just, just look at this parable and go, yeah, yeah, the lost sheep will get straight into that right at the very beginning of even speaking about this, he sets this kind of scene. And I think that's quite important, so I hope you forgive me for mentioning it. So we're going to look at Luke 15. And we're going to look at four illustrations in Luke 15. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost younger son, and I would judge the lost older son, the older brother. Four losts in the one of those. And I go further than to say, I think that Jesus explained that because they represent different types of people. Now, I guess you'd probably be thinking, this is a different way of looking at this. But rather than just taking one thing about the lost sheep, I'm going to just go through and perhaps suggest that it reflects different types of people. So hopefully, we're all covered. As well as they're all out there covered, if we think about it. So, let's do the first one then. The lost sheep. Well, I want to say that as far as this is concerned, by giving us an illustration of the lost sheep, we're talking about people, and I've written up 
there those who are unaware of being lost. If you went down a road and said, oh, you know, you're lost, I said, well, I'm not. Well, in God's eyes, you're lost. No, I'm not. People who are unaware of being lost and they're living by instinct that says, well, you know, this, this is my life and I need to make the best of it and it's up and down and everything else. And that actually involves following a crowd sometimes. And if you live in the world that I live in, I, and especially with the media, whether that be uh, papers, televisions, social media, or whatever, there's an awful lot of influence going on. Remember having a bit of an argument, perhaps a discussion is a better word, about the various soaps that are on the television. And they said, oh, they only reflect the society. I said, no, they don't. I said, they create the society. Hello? Because a soap takes what is and then seeks to get the ratings and get the people in there to push the boundaries. Moral boundaries, all sorts of things. So I said, actually, no, they create it. But all we like sheep have gone astray, the Bible says. And when I look at sheep, and I've, I've had friends who've been in, in farming and so on and so forth, and maybe you do as well, uh, it's very, very interesting to see uh, how they simply chomp away at the grass and then they move on to where they chomp a bit more. And they keep going, and they're not always aware of where they are, and they're not always aware of when they're in danger. <coughs> How interesting that Jesus uh, speaks about shepherds and goes after sheep. Do you know that in the days of these Pharisees, women and shepherds were not allowed to be witnesses in a court. So straight away, Jesus comes in with the shepherds. <coughs> I don't think it's a mistake that they were significant in the Christmas story. Someone said to me, and I get this all the time where people are always wanting to point things out, they said, you know, I, I get this idea that you've got, you know, 100 sheep and then one gets lost um, and he says he goes off and finds the other one. What about those 99? You see, and I just say, oh, hang on a minute, he's making a point, but actually what you don't realise is that in those days, Quite a lot of people had a hundred sheep. That was a kind of norm. But actually, they would be shepherds together, not one on their own. We picture this shepherd on his own and everything else. But they were lots of them were in groups. And if they were, you tell me why the Bethlehem shepherds came to visit. It wasn't the Bethlehem shepherd came to visit, but shepherds. And they would look after one another's sheep. But even later on uh, in the scriptures, Jesus talks about 
sheep, uh, they know the shepherd's voice. Well, that was because they used to have folds where all different shepherds could bring their, all, their own sheep and they would mix them all up. But when the shepherd came and they stood at the gate, it was possible then for those sheep to come out. So it isn't about saying, what did Jesus mean when he went and got that one, when he left the other, they didn't mind. No, he was simply trying to say, everyone matters to me. Everyone matters to me. And so the shepherd had a staff and he had a crook. And the staff was to direct and sometimes be thrown at a wild animal. But he had a crook. That's because in the rugged terrain, sometimes a sheep or a lad would get caught in the rock. And so this hooked stick, if you like, was able to get right out the ship that had got stuck. Psalm 23, your rod and staff, they comfort me. I did hear the story of when a bishop visited a local church and the boy, the boy was thrilled because as he walked in, he carried this crook. And... Uh, when he went home, he said to his parents, I've seen the bishop and now I know what a crook looks like. <laughs> People are lost. But lost perhaps because they're just unintentionally trying to do their best trying to live the life the way that they feel is right. And picking up all that they can. Those sheep are a very good illustration of a lot of people. But they matter to Jesus. So you can now see we then move to the second group of people. And that is revealed in the parable of the lost coin. Now, I've got to be careful here because, you know, Keith was talking about the things that were lost and uh, he was talking about who we could blame. Someone might say to Keith, do you think you're not a bit careless, Keith? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. If we're to understand this illustration about the lost coin, those were people, perhaps, who had been subject to others' carelessness. And this might catch us a bit more on the nerve. Because I know people who are struggling because of other people's carelessness towards them. I might be the first pastor to sit and encourage someone to come back to church 
but they find that they couldn't because of the way they were treated. Might be all wrongly. This is the story of this woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Probably it might have even been in a chain as we see up there. They were usually drachmas and a drachma was about a day's wages. So, you know, in terms of uh, the whole thing, it would have been worth quite a bit. But one goes, I mean, those stone floors uh, might have dropped down, but she's determined, it says, she's determined to find this lost coin. Not a case of, oh, I've got these nine others, that will do, I've got plenty. No, she was determined to find it. But how did he get lost in the first place? What was it that steered the coin away? Or in terms of people, as we're talking about now, what was it that uh, caused difficulty? It's got to be said that when we talk about Father God, there are some people who have had abusive fathers. And so when they project the idea of God the Father, it doesn't sit very well. Because their experiences of being fathered are not good. I've heard even people say, I, I can understand Jesus, I can go with that, but this Father God, and you know. And so it, became, it becomes important to understand the difference between God's fathering and fallen fathers. And it may be even there's people here for whom there's areas of faith that are difficult because of the old idea of father. But this father in heaven sent Jesus so that you would not be lost to the idea of our heavenly father. But he loves you and would do anything for you. Sometimes we have a standard of behaviour because we're Christians, but when we look at other people, we see their behaviour not as we would want. And I'm not saying that you're not right. But what I am saying is, how do you reach them? Not by being one of them, but by somehow showing a compassion. And I can remember running the discipleship courses uh, as I did, and I remember saying to people, when I grew up as a Christian, in my teens and in my twenties, and became a Christian, <coughs> I actually remember very clearly that if I behaved a certain way, if I behaved a certain way, and if I believe certain things, then I could belong. I said it again, if I behave in a certain way and believe certain things, then I could belong. 
But actually, this parable somehow turns it on its head and says, in the heart of God the Father, he wants you to belong to heaven. So actually, belonging is first. And somehow, I think Christian communities need to somehow, while holding to truth and living right, at least encourage people to have a sense of belonging. Just give you that thought for a moment. Then, out of belonging, sometimes we then are able to hear teaching. And in the hearing of that teaching, we then start to believe. And then when we start to believe, we find that actually we want to change our behaviour. Because we want to live by that. And if you think I'm making this up, just think of Zacchaeus. <laughs> that he was a tax collector. And he's up a tree. Because he's intuitively think there's something going on here. And he's up this tree. And Jesus says, come down. I'm coming to your house for a meal. Do you remember what I said about the importance of meals? <coughs> He'd have been flabbergasted. Because I want the bond with you. Hello? And then after that teaching that he must have had, he then goes out and there's a big change of behaviour, isn't it? But if the Christians, at the first encounter with people who are just acting and being and and maybe, you know, they've been hurt, they've been all sorts of things, you know, and they're behaving badly. Um, you know, hurt people hurt people. You get that? Hurt people hurt other people. And I've seen it time and time again. I've seen people behaving, Christians behaving towards non-Christians and so on in quite un unacceptable ways. Nothing to do with reflecting the heart of Jesus. But then you get to it and you find that they also have been hurt. The Lord is near, says Psalm 34, 18. It's on the board. To the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Oh, Jesus was giving some very, very powerful, loving, Teaching. On those two occasions, he says, Do you know there's rejoicing in heaven? Isn't that incredible to think that heaven, you know, we're told in Hebrews, is such a great cloud of witnesses, so much rejoicing in heaven when someone, someone like the lost sheep, someone like the lost coin, becomes follower of Jesus. But I said to you, didn't I, that I think in Luke 15, it's four illustrations in one parable rather than all these different parables. Well, 
not to go too much into the lost son because actually you've probably already done that, but just to point out to you at the end of verse 10, I tell you the truth, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. But in verse 11, it says, Jesus continued. So if you look it up yourself, you can see, in that parable, that parable, and then something else, Jesus continued. So we've got, we've got this first one, Jesus told him this parable, or suppose a woman, Jesus continued. Can you see now why I'm letting you know this is all part of one whole? And these are the people, these are the people group who have deliberately chosen to go their own way. I don't want to know. I want to get the most out of my life. And I'm not always too bothered about who I climb under to get there. And I've met those too. I've met those too. In this story, we have the uh, older brother or the older son, and we have the younger son. And it's the younger son who's saying, uh, I, I don't want to be part of this outfit. Uh, give me my share. Well, his share would have been the third, because the older brother, sadly, but he gets two lots. He gets two thirds, and the other one gets one third. And the older brother, obviously, he works hard and does all these sorts of things. But the younger one, um, well, he can he can recognise that that's just a pecking order. And what he's really saying is, I don't want to be part of this. Uh, I know I'm due for a share, so let's how about having it now. Reminds me of that lovely little story um, when a little boy takes a bucket, a bucket to his grandma, and says, Grandma, could you kick this? <laughs> because Dad says when Grandma kicks the bucket, we can go to Disney World. <laughs> Younger son's not thinking of the wider group, he's thinking of me. It's my right to be happy. How many times have you heard this? It's my right, it's my right, it's my right. We're so into rights that we've lost the word responsibility from the dictionary. And rights and responsibilities go hand in hand, but we get this whole idea. But the father allows him to discover these things for himself. And God, in the same way, he doesn't control us with chains or strings like puppets, but he agonizingly lets us go. I hand you over. And he sometimes would say, I think, then you will see for yourself. But it comes to a bad end, and obviously he comes back. Uh, he wants to be a, he recognises that even being a servant there is even better. But what is interesting in the story, I don't know if it was pointed out when you did this, 
that the father was running. The father was running to this prodigal. And it would be considered in their culture, for a, 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 a well-to-do father, it would be unacceptable and undignified to run after the son who has gone off and behaved like that. But we're told he does. We're told that he was looking and he ran. Completely something that would have been despised. Until we read Isaiah 53 and verse 3, he was despised, this is Jesus, and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. See, what's being said here is that we're getting this picture of not only the father just cutting through what was expected in order to reach, but actually Jesus going and accepting the fact that uh, what I am doing at the cross, it would be shame and to win the world back. We know the business of uh, putting on the robes and making them a son again and everything else. Interestingly enough, in the story of the parable, he says that he held um, a party with a fatted calf. You might be interested to know that a little bit later on, we come to the fourth character, uh, the older brother, and he said, you never gave me a goat. And you sometimes think, well, okay. Actually, it was to do with the fact that if you had a family gathering, you used a goat. But when you had the fatted calf, you invited the town. All right? Different level of celebration. No wonder Jesus would say, and there's rejoicing in heaven when someone who has deliberately, willfully, selfishly gone away. Then we get to the elder brother, the last one. And I believe Jesus put that in there because of the context of the beginning when, of course, I said to you, he was speaking to the Pharisees. <coughs> speaking to the Pharisees. The lost brother, those who have become self-righteous, seeking to earn God's favour. I love this in Romans 10. For not knowing about God's righteousness on the board and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to his righteousness. You see, it is right that we make judgments. It is right that we know what is right and what is wrong. And it wasn't that the elder brother was wrong in defining what the younger brother had done. What he couldn't get himself to hold was the fact that his father's heart was to have him back in spite. And he wanted the older son, who should have been supportive, because that's what older sons did, to be supportive of his father's heart. 
It's as if his father could have told him, I know everything you're saying. You've worked like a Trojan. You've done this, you've only done that. And yet, he is a pile of mess. But he's my pile of mess. And I love him. And I want you to love him Everything is yours. Because after all, the only one has already had his bit. <laughs> Everything is yours. Including my love. Will you share my heart? Because actually, you don't earn the righteousness that's needed. You receive it as a free gift. There was no need for Jesus to die if we could earn it. But we can't. By the grace of God. So that might be a different way of looking at these four parables. The parable of the lost sheep. They don't know they're lost. The parable of the lost coin. People struggle because of others' carelessness and treatment. The lost son determined not to have anything to do with anything that seemed restraining. And the older brother reminding us as Christians that we need to have his heart because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.